Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. Sorry if I sound a little congested, considering I've just been getting over a mild head cold that's been going through. Luckily to the point that I was negative for COVID, but, you know, you gotta check every now and again just to kind of make sure to take away from the worst. But at least for the rest of it, Anime Revolution is going to be popping up this weekend in Vancouver, so I'm definitely curious to see how many people I'm going to be able to check in with, some that I haven't seen in over a year, and for some that I've just been able to go through and and somewhere it hasn't even been too long. So, at least through the rest of it, there is going to be one specific premiere that is going to be having its Canadian debut, which is going to be The Tunnel of Summer and the Exit of Goodbye's anime film. Now, this ended up debuting in Japan back in September of last year, and it's slated to have a North American theatrical run over inside of the fall, but outside of that, High Dive is also going to have the opportunity to stream it later since it's done by the same director as Kino's Journey, as well as Agadama Drive, and then done by Studio Clap, which is Pompo the Cinephile. Considering that there's not really a lot here that I was looking over too much, the only reason why this essentially popped up is considering that this is going to be able to make its Canadian debut. Don't necessarily know if it's the North American, but considering that we have any opportunity to have a debut up north, then at the very least we got to take any little bit that we can get. But then something that I ended up popping up, at least on the news boards, that was a little more appropriate to my child self is that there's going to be a new Bakugan anime launching on Netflix on September 1st. Now, considering that Spin Master is basically laden in the help on either Bakugan, Beatamon, a couple of pieces, not necessarily inside of their wheelhouse, but in the middle of the Japanimation boom inside of North America, or leading through Digimon, Pokemon, and all the rest of that stuff, Bakugan ended up showing up very frequently on Teletoon and YTV, at least in the Canadian section. So Spin Master is going to be lining those up on Roblox up until today, and then we'll have the opportunity to go through and see this later in September. So it's nice to see those blasts from the past end up coming around and surprising me every now and again, and to be fair, this was definitely one that I was not expecting. But then over to Bandai Namco, I'm pretty sure we covered this on the last episode, but the fact that Bandai really wanted Selena and Miriana's relationship at the end of G-Witch to be left to interpretation just kind of makes me laugh in hindsight especially with one of the fan channels, summing it up very succinctly to the point where any sane, reasonable person would be able to see the two of them are married at the end, and any denial of that sort of thing is just a major coping mechanism. Especially when one of the characters inside of the show is just like, oh yeah, no, it's not a Gundam, it's just up to interpretation, where it's just like, oh yeah, no, they're not married, it's not that they have somebody referencing their relationships with sister-in-laws as well as what their wife is going to do. So at that point in time, it's just the fact that this is consistently being brought up week after week is just like, man, just give it up. Let them be happy. Uh, but looking towards another film, we end up getting a rescheduling for one that I was actually curious about if it was even going to have the opportunity to debut in 2023, considering that Yamada Naoko's next film at Sainsaru is going to be rescheduled to 2024. Considering that the film Yamada Naoko is producing at Sainsaru, considering that the film Yamada Naoko is directing at Sainsaru is going to be delayed into 2024, known as Your Color, which is in this case is just going to be a slight jab towards this is going to be the Your Cinematic Universe, considering that we end up getting Your Name lining up first, and now we've got Your Color coming up in next in 2024. But considering that this was going to be making a very late debut at the end of the year, the fact that they have the opportunity, considering that it's a film, to go through and give it another couple of months in the oven to have the opportunity 
for the team to be given the time that they need to at least complete the project, I'm at least glad they have that opportunity. As well as another film that's going to be making its debut in 2024, a sequel to a show that I honestly was never expecting it to get any more content or anything related to the story outside of its manga counterpart, which is Mononoke. Honestly, the medicine seller has been a huge help considering I've been taking medicinal cocktails over the past couple of days to try and get over this head cold, but that's beside the point. The film itself is going to be having a summer 2024 release date, done by Studio Aota, and directed by the same team under the guise of Kenji Nakamura. So I'm legitimately surprised that something of this caliber is going to be having the opportunity to get new content, but honestly, it is probably one of the best supernatural thrillers that anime has been able to give, so if you have the opportunity, go give the 12-episode series a watch. And finally, last... And so the last film that I'll be able to get through off of this list is going to be the Kamada Whiskey Family. And so finally, the last anime film that I'm going to be able to take off of this list is going to be the Kamada Whiskey Family, which is going to be an anime film being produced down at PA Works to add to their numerous amount of projects to be working inside of a niche industry inside of Japan. So now in this case, we have a November 10th premiere inside of Japan, which means we're not going to be having the opportunity which means we're not going to be able to get the opportunity to see it until 2024, like many of the other ones that we've been able to go through over the past couple of minutes. But to be fair, if it's going to be something anywhere related to all of PA Works' previous business-related shows, to be fair, this is probably going to be one that I'm going to be a lot more interested in, considering that the majority of the whiskey that they're going to be revolving around inside of this film is going to be related to a scotch method of brewing and, and distilling. So... Only time will tell, but it's definitely going to be one that I'm going to enjoy in theaters. But I guess the last little piece of negative information that we've got here is that Disney Plus is going to be following in the same lines as Netflix, and they're going to be restricting password sharing in 2024, as they're also going to be joining Hulu as in raising their prices on their ad-free tiers. And so each of these are going to be going up. The ad-free tier on Disney Plus is going to go from 11 bucks US a month to 14 And then in this case, Hulu is going to go from 15 to $18. So the ad-supported tiers will remain unchanged, but this entire new pricing scheme is going to be taking effect in October 12th. So just as a bit of a heads up, it's been quite a while since I've jumped on to either of these platforms, especially Hulu, because, you know, Canada. But... I did at least have the opportunity to enjoy Andor on Disney+, Plus, and then Ahsoka is also going to be lining up pretty soon. Concurrently, after Star Wars Visions, did a decent job, even though I'm pretty sure that the first season had a couple more hits than they did. Visions, as I've done in previous episodes, definitely guarded more than enough to be a worthwhile anthology series inside of this ever-evolving Star Wars landscape. So now jumping into the recommendation portion of the episode, we're going to be going through specifically fantasy anime, which can be very broad, especially whenever it comes to isekai, considering since they are all incredibly a dime a dozen, everything can essentially be given its own episode to try and even cast as broad, to even have the opportunity to cast a broad enough net to try and encompass anything inside of that category alone, so I'm definitely going to be leaving that for another day, but at the very least, all the fantasy recommendations I have on hand are mainly either medieval fantasies, futuristic fantasies, magic fantasies, 
mostly inside of unique worlds that have been given the basis of swords and magic and being able to take themselves into different varieties and places that a lot of people would be able to do. So Tolkien-esque fantasy could cover some, but not all of these. Mushrooms would be coming in later, but we'll get to that. So at the very least, whenever anybody talks about fantasy, grimdark, anything related to the genre, and one that has been a pioneer as well as a huge inspiration to anything inside of its entire large body of work. Berserk by the late Kentaro Miura is definitely going to be the first one that I would have to recommend on this list, considering that at least it's been running since 1989. It has inspired no shortage of previous suitors, such as the Soulsborne series, and is easily one of the better recommendations whenever you just want straight swords and magic and grimdark fantasy that is at least related to the medium of manga or animation. The only question that anybody else consistently asks about the show is not that if it's good, it's just that where do you start? Considering that the manga itself has about two arcs that take place before the anime adaptation was able to go through. The anime itself gets one episode initially to kind of give you an idea about where the story is going to be going, but then afterwards you have so many different pieces of media related to this franchise where it's just another one of those major questions where everybody's got a different answer about where you want to start, what you want to do, if you don't want to consume everything, since a lot of it is retreading the same ground, then what essentially do you do when you want to have the a when you want to get a better idea of how to enjoy the product. And at the very least, then there are just multiple ways that you can do it. Every single one of them has its merits. You could just read the manga. You can, even though it is an incomplete story, mind you, that is going to be the biggest and probably the only negative detractor I can say from this story. It is easily one of the best fantasy series that is ever told, easily going up to bat with Tolkien fantasy and essentially the lore and the world that it's been able to build over the past 30 plus years. But considering the early passing of Kintaro Miura, it's just in, in an incredibly shady spot for a story that still has no end. And although the manga itself would be a good option to just consume, in terms of the anime-wise, I'm still going to consistently recommend the 97 anime series, considering that it does have its shaky moments but it's able to cover everything inside of the Golden Age arc, which is the one that takes place after a couple of arcs into the main story. So you're definitely getting left out a couple of pieces of information as to where essentially it's going. But if you're curious about where its direction is aimed and how essentially they ended up getting to this specific one, there are a couple of things that it lacks, especially with the scale of the battles, but it is more than enough covered by the matte-esque paintings that they're able to go through and the broad strokes that all of the landscapes, all of the battles, and even though it's incredibly static, it gives you more than enough information to get across just how much is happening inside of any given scene, any given battle, as well as any sort of grand story reveal that lines up through the rest of it. So between the 97 anime series the trilogy of films that ended up coming out back in 2012, or, <laughs> I dare I say it, the 2016 Berserk television series, just, just don't. What I will give the trilogy of Golden Age Berserk films is that the CG that they incorporate gives you a much better 
idea of the scale of the battles that are happening inside of this world. The Hundred Year War is definitely something that can't necessarily be as firmly grasped inside of the 97 anime, but there's only so much information that you get inside of the trilogy of films considering that they have less time to cover as much content as the 26 episode anime series did. So in this case, if I had to choose between one or the other, I would definitely give it to the original Berserk, and then just don't even touch the modern adaptations. Do not touch 26, Berserk 2016. Do not touch 2018. Just leave it as is, and just go read the manga. If you, or in this case, if you want a really odd roundabout way to consume this, watch the 97 anime series, and then jump into the back half of the third Golden Age film. Because, once again, there is caveats to every single piece of Berserk-related media inside of this. Specifically that, just like the main manga storyline, the 26-episode anime series does not have an ending. In fact, it ends on one of the most egregious cliffhangers and a go-read-the-manga-style suggestion that I have seen in any adaptation ever. And so that's the one thing that the trilogy films do, is that at the end of the third film, you actually get an idea about what happens after the eclipse, and what the future of Guts is going to be holden to, especially with what he's going to have to endure afterwards. Which, that's what the 26th... Which, unfortunately, the 2016 version goes right back to where the story left off at the Golden Age arc, but it is so poor at adapting any of the contents that the original Berserk was able to go to, I cannot in good conscience recommend anybody go watch the 2016 to 2018 adaptation. At that point, there is more than enough of a story to go through. You're not going to have to wait too long, considering that you don't have to worry about the entire boat shenanigans that happen inside of that particular point in the arc, just go back to reading the story in full, considering that Kentaro Miura's art is very picturesque to put in every single detail that you would need to enjoy a story of this caliber. So watch the 97, finish off with a third Golden Age film, and then just go consume the manga in its entirety, considering that it is honestly one of the best pieces of fantasy work, period. Although jumping off to... It's it's so difficult, especially when you're trying to follow up anything after Berserk, but it's very much in the same way that this one at least has an ending, depending on how much of the story you want to go through, depending on the medium. Because Dorohedoro is such a fun, ridiculous, magical romp that this kind of magic and mythos and world-splitting ideals and travel that you essentially go through inside of this, it's incredibly difficult to describe, especially right off the bat, considering that you've got a dude who's got the alligator for a head, who is helping run this gyoza restaurant with an incredibly buff chick that can essentially rip the hands off of anybody who opposes her, but are getting constantly hunted by mages and wizards that travel between the doors of their realm and the, I don't know, the grunge realm, I guess you could call it, uh, that the girl and the croc exist in. And it's basically a fight for why does the dude have a crocodile for his head, and why is this chick so important, but what are they going to be doing in order to... And then afterwards, basically, how are they going to come to this random conclusion? And how are they going to figure any of this out? Which... 
it's incredibly difficult for me to try and describe anything about what happens in the series. The only things that I do know is that, yes, it is a complete story. Unfortunately, the anime does not cover everything. I have been waiting for MAPPA to jump back on the saddle and give this show a season two, but it's been three years, and I don't think... Unless they announce something related to it in 2024, I highly doubt that this series is going to be getting a season two, so... At the very least, I would wholeheartedly recommend the anime as well, but considering that it's going to be very rare that we'll have the opportunity to continue on the story, you'll have to jump back into the manga to at least get the full picture about what ends up happening inside of this. But at the very least, we know that the story is complete, and you can't necessarily say the same for a lot of shows leading into this list or any list prior. Now, what ended up recently getting a second season last year was... Maiden Abyss, which is also another series that is also incomplete, especially when it comes to the manga form. But what you have been able to get over two seasons in a movie is one of the most well-realized fantasy worlds that you could basically put to any form of animation. And it's definitely one of those pieces of work that is surrounded by a very troublesome fetish, especially related to the mangaka, that thankfully gets toned down a little in the anime, but is never rid of, especially with the portrayal of children and, it's, and all the trauma that they have to go through and experience exploring and diving deeper into this pit. And Maiden Abyss is able to frame the human experience and their sense of adventure along with the trauma and the horror and the gore that is related to any kind of sacrifice to push the knowledge of humanity forward. It is basically one of the hugest asterisks for me to give any kind of recommendation. The quality is there. It is easily one of the best fantasy series in anime, period. But the content of this story, the horrific ordeals that many of these characters go through inside of this show is not for the faint of heart. It is incredibly difficult to watch at times. There is an episode and a portion in both seasons and the movie that just completely threw me out of it and got me thinking about all of the worst things about humanity, especially with our never-ending drive for knowledge and the sacrifices that must be made to attain that knowledge. It is definitely a show where it's incredibly basic. You have these kids trying to navigate a seemingly bottomless pit that houses ancient technology, creatures, histories that is essentially brought the minds of every human around the world to its borders to try and get a piece of whatever is lying inside of the abyss. And so it's an incredibly simple premise, but the majesty that lies inside of its depths is the one that keeps everybody bringing back for more, no matter how horrific it ends up becoming. So outside of that kind of dull and depressing bit was, um, I don't know, it's, it's tough for me to gauge... It's tough for me to place this show into any genre specifically. I mean, fantasy is definitely one of its genres, but 
I guess it's something that's harder to explain and harder to tell why I enjoyed so much in the first place. And it's not the first time that I've essentially jumped back into talking about this series, but in this case we're talking about Land of the Lustrous. And unfortunately it is put in the same grouping as Dorohedoro, considering that it only has one season of anime out, and maybe Studio Orange is going to get back to it after they've finally completed the third season of Beastars and given us more than enough of a wait or to satiate whatever kind of hunger for knowledge to the rest of this because the mangaka herself is just so close. We are at the very, very end of this series, especially inside of the manga. And the problem is that they somehow ended up getting a PS5 and then they went off the grid for like... 15 months for a new chapter. They were right at the finish line, and they pulled a Kentaro Miura, except with him, it was Idolmaster, and for Hachigawa, it was a PS5 and the library that came with it. So it was just, oh, we're just never going to see her again. Shit. So <laughs> this, this story, it's very close. It is incredibly close to its conclusion. And honestly, if you have the opportunity to go through and watch the first season of the anime and then catch up with the manga, by then... Maybe a new chapter will come out, and then maybe we'll get one step closer to figuring out where the ending of the series is going to go. But what Land of Lustrous is able to do is just give you enough intrigue as to what these beings are and what kind of characters are going to be able to follow through the rest of the story, because you have one human-like being who is in charge of this entire race of crystallized beings. And they are all related around different forms and geological classes and sediments and rocks and gems just all over. Essentially, you've got one all the way down to Phosphophyllite, which is incredibly brittle and our main character, for better or worse, as well all the way up to carbon and diamonds. So depending on your durability depends on your... ends up quantifying your worth t towards the entire colony, I guess? Because they're essentially all alone on this island, and we don't know if this is the future, if this is the past, if this is an alternate world, and you get bits and pieces of information thrown at you as the series goes on as to what essentially this planet they're on is, where essentially everybody's going, and why they've been stagnating for such a long period of time, considering that essentially all of the gems themselves are immortal. They can live for hundreds, if not thousands of years, but they are always constantly being hunted by the denizens of the moon that consistently come down from the skies to try to break them down and steal them and take them back up to essentially wear themselves as jewelry or weapons or anything related to something, but we don't know why they come after them. We don't know why they're so important and why they continuously hound all the characters that we've gotten to know in the series. And as the, over the course of time, especially like long stretches of time, some longer than others, where you could go days into weeks, into months, into years, depending on where the story was going, how you're able to get enough attached to any of these rocks, basically, is beyond me. But especially considering that Tomio Kurosawa is the one voicing the main Phosphophyllite, she does a phenomenal job giving her just enough character and just enough 
you know, nuance and dialogue to basically keep anybody entertained, as even though she's essentially going through and monologuing through a lot of the stuff that that she has to go through. And I don't necessarily know how much more I can say without spoiling too much, so at that point, give Land of the Lustrous a shot, considering that A, you're going to be pleasantly surprised, and B, if there's anything related to this, considering that, I mean, Dorohedoro has is basically almost all CG, it does a phenomenal job leading into the kind of story that it's given, and then the same thing with Lustrous, almost entirely CG in, in terms of their production, so if you're looking to just get an idea about how important CG elements inside a production are, especially when they are the main focus of something, I would definitely recommend giving both of those a watch, considering that they give you that kind of perspective onto what these bring to the table and how important they are into productions as a whole. Now, it has been a while since I've gone back to rewatch this, but considering its genesis and how it was able to evolve into its own series, in this case, it's just Little Witch Academia. So, the closest in this case, which we're going to be getting to, like, a Harry Potter, magic, and wands, and wizards fantasy, but it does an incredibly good job with the pieces that it's given, considering that it was initially an animator's project that they were able to go through and create this down at and animate this at Studio Trigger. They were a part of the project, and so they had the opportunity to go through and animate this to the portion of a 26-minute short film, which then got kickstarted into making a sequel film that went so far over the goal that they were able to expand it into twice the length, into a 53-minute long project, which then, considering as a proof of concept, gave Trigger the opportunity to expand upon it into a full 25-episode anime series back in 2017, four years after its inception. And although I will be honest that Akko is probably my least favorite part of this entire show, she does give her she does get her opportunities to shine later on as she is able to learn her lessons and go through and have the opportunity to just not only speak her mind, but considering that she has more than essentially 26 or 52 minutes of a project to go through and learn to live with the different cast of characters that we have around here, it definitely is a much better opportunity to have them fleshed out and to push forward to at least give more characters some time to shine along with her. Because to be fair, even though Akko is the protagonist, Diana is probably the one that gets the better journey inside of this entire show, but it's the relationships between the characters that they're able to build and all of the references and callbacks to a lot of the other stuff that Trigger was able to do. I mean, even on top of that, a couple of Little Witch characters were able to make themselves into an episode of Space Report Luluko, which was also a phenomenal thing that you should go watch because it's very short, very sweet, and does a very good job with the amount of time that's given since you've only got about three to four minutes per episode. So if that's specifically what you're looking for in terms of like a Harry Potter-esque, you know, witches go to wizarding school sort of deal that gets gives you the opportunity to give a modern spin as well as something that is placed more something around inside the United Kingdom instead of Japan, well, at least this will give you the opportunity to scratch that itch. And then finally, one that I've talked about multiple times on this show for different reasons would be probably the most recent addition to this, especially since it ended up getting a little bit more content leading in after its first season, and then a promise for a film, well, that's going to be Ranking of Kings. Because 
if we're talking about storybook aesthetic fantasy, Ranking of Kings is bar none the best of the bunch whenever it comes to that specific part. Because, yes, it is very childlike. Yes, at the beginning, there's not necessarily a lot that you can go through until you finally start learning about the inner workings of this fantasy, where it looks like a children's cartoon, but to the point that it is based in, like, a George R.R. R. Martin Game of Thrones sort of world, where there is always fighting for the throne, mercenaries and wars being held on the outskirts of the kingdoms, greater beings of power that threaten the entire balance of this entire ecosystem, as well as the entire mystery about what the ranking of kings means in its entirety. And basically watching Boji go through and struggle and cry and work towards trying to become a king worthy of what his father meant him to be, regardless of how he was able to be brought into this world in the first place, and to why somebody who is the son of a giant could not even hope to match his stature in size and strength, but with, at least in this case, compassion and empathy. So yeah, it's at least through the rest of these recommendations, it's very difficult considering that, as this is anime, a lot of this stuff is not open and closed. It's still continuing, it's still going through. The manga for Ranking of Kings is not necessarily something I would recommend, because what Studio Wit has been able to accomplish with this, and how well they've been able to adapt the content into something that is going to stand the test of time as easily one of the best fantasy shows, period, is that they're be, they've been given time, they know that they're going to be committing to this kind of bit, even though the half season that we ended up getting in the previous season wasn't necessarily one that pushed any uh, too much of the story forward, but now that we know that there is going to be more opportunities for this world to expand, as well as the fact that next year we are going to be getting a film from Wit Studios, which at that point in time, anything related to Wit Studios, the fact that they're being able to get the time and a project that they are passionate about set to a f motion picture film, set to a feature-length film, is something that is incredibly excited. Is something that has got me incredibly excited which is something that has gotten me incredibly excited. So, unfortunately, I'm sorry that the majority of the recommendations here don't necessarily have a clear-cut ending. Each of these bits and pieces have... Little Witch Academia, ironically enough, is the one that's open and closed, considering that it was an original work. And Dorohedoro itself has a phenomenal first season of an adaptation, but with a completed manga. The rest of these are kind of up in the air as to where exactly they're going to land, but if anything around that is even remotely close to the content of the adaptations that we've been given thus far, I have incredibly high hopes as to they will have more than enough wherewithal to land on their feet in the end and put themselves in the annals of anime history and become modern classics in the making. So, at this point in time, I hope that's enough to satisfy your thirst for fantasy, I will see you all at Anime Revolution, and I'll, and I'll see the rest of you at Anime Revolution. Cheers, have a good one.